What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there. Sharing plates with just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that? Even designer furniture. On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, it's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to The Bill Alexander Show on this wonderful day. Now, most of you know that I worked in radio for a long time, especially on a small AM station in southwestern Pennsylvania. And when I was working there, we had a program that was called The Bargain Counter. Well, a few weeks back, someone shared with me a TV program on Netflix called The Swap Shop, which is a radio program about people going out and finding bargains. Now, I've heard of Tradio, again, the bargain counter, now the swap shop. Well, there's an interesting duo on the program. The young lady is from Tokyo. Her husband is from Appalachia or Appalachia or Appalachia, depending on what part you're in, because I'm in the northern part and we say it differently. But it's really interesting how these two people met. So right now, one with me is J.P. Mathis and Leona, Leona, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing real good. JP, how are you doing? I'm doing well today. How about yourself, Bill? I'm doing wonderful. We're waiting for a nice storm to come through. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that it actually misses us because uh, I'm located about oh, 30 minutes north of Morgantown, West Virginia, if you want to talk about being in the Appalachian Mountains there. So we are, we are, right, we are right there. You're in the southern portion. I'm in the northern portion. So tell me, how did you two meet a guy from Tennessee, a girl from Tokyo? I mean, yeah, if you look at the dictionary, Tennessee and Tokyo are close. But in reality, they're on a totally different parts of the world. Okay, I guess I'll go ahead and take the initial part. I was actually, I'm a musician. And uh, I was on tour in Japan. Uh, I think it was in 2005, I was on tour with a, a Japanese shamisen player. And I'm a banjo player. So the shamisen's kind of the rounded instrument with the long neck, kind of looks like a banjo okay. that, that the geisha play a lot and that, that traditional instrument. So we were doing kind of a collaborative tour and uh, with some other guys as well. And uh, we basically, uh, we had a, I had a mutual friend that knew Leona and myself. At the time, uh, I was a student at uh, East Tennessee State University, which has the world's largest bluegrass and country music program. And uh, uh, she was an up-and-coming fiddle player and uh, wanted to, uh, was thinking about coming to school. So our mutual friend said, hey, would you like to meet uh, 
uh, meet this fiddle girl. She's uh, wanting to come to college. And, and I was actually partially working for the college at the time, too. So I needed some recruitment points. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, tell her to come. So uh, we met we met her at a, a British pub right in the middle of Shibuya, Tokyo, which is like their Times Square. And uh, we were all hanging out and Leona walks in. The funny thing about our first meeting is, is the reason I'm <laughs> taking this question, I remember everything. About <laughs> I mean, every little small detail imaginable. And she remembers nothing, right? Other than other than they were a bunch of large American guys sitting in this corner room. So so uh, so that's that's how we initially met and then soon so my recruitment worked uh-huh. and uh, she came to college the next semester. Yes. Came to study at East Tennessee State University. Uh, it, it took us a while to have a relationship though, but uh-huh. uh, uh, I at least initially got her to come to Appalachia. <laughs> So, Leona. Yes. From Tokyo to East Tennessee State. Uh-huh. How was that? A, I mean, I can guarantee that was a totally different world. How did you adjust to it? How did I adjust to it? That's a difficult question because I <laughs> still feel like I haven't adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um. Yes, definitely. It was a challenging situation um, because I uh, I was born and raised in Tokyo, and um, my uh, family uh, pretty much they all are from Tokyo. So I do not even have a close relatives that lives in the countryside of Japan or anything. Okay. So I, I truly grew up in a big city. So when I came to um, East Tennessee area, I guess the very first very shocking thing was the cell phone. Back <laughs> then, I already had the camera, uh, like a camera phone that you could even videotape, even it was a flip phone, right? But it, was, it had the really good camera. And then I could make a little small movie or so. And then when I moved over here, um, the only flip phone you could literally barely see what you were taking on the camera. <laughs> so your technology went downhill. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I found this program, a friend of mine that I'm friends with, we worked radio together years ago, um, posted on Facebook. This must have been right after Thanksgiving before Christmas mm-hmm. about this program. And he said, guys, we all had one of these but you got to see what Netflix is doing with it. Well, of course I ran to it immediately and I binge watched the whole first season that day. But what stuck out to me wasn't everybody else because I've seen people like everybody else. It was you two. And (laughs) Leona, you made a comment that still sticks with me about selling Americana in Tokyo. And how you guys are able to make so much more money there than you are here. And how I'm thinking, that is a wonderful business model. You buy it here cheap, you sell it there high. And again, it's a great idea. So who's got you on this whole bargain shopping type thing? It kind of started out, I grew up, like I say, in actually the town I grew up in, grew up in Elizabethton. Uh, mm-hmm. Tennessee, 
And uh, we still have, it's actually not the station that's on the show, but we still have our own Homestown station that does right. swapping shows. And uh, I grew up listening to it uh, with my grandmother uh, every morning. And not really, she wasn't listening because of the items. The, the first reason we were listening to it was the obituaries ran right in the middle part. <laughs> so she had to find out who had passed on. <laughs> But what we did is we kind of had fun with the show, just listening to the right. you know, these random calls that are hilarious. So we would just sit and laugh and then maybe cry for the obituary section and then move back to, to laughter. But uh, so I was familiar with with the swap and shop or swap shop. And uh, Leona had no concept of anything <laughs> like that. I mean, nothing. So I, once once I, I introduced it to her pretty early on. Mm -hmm. And we weren't really, how do I say this? How did we kind of how we got into it? She actually got me more into the buying stuff because she was like, you were what? Well, tell the story. Like you were seeing this stuff in like antique stores and things. And yes. Um, uh, I guess even my parents were already into anything that's made in America, uh, clothing or anything that's, made in USA yeah. uh, uh, material. And um, so even I was growing up wearing something made in right. USA, uh, either blue blue jean jacket or something like that. And um, so in Tokyo, you see um, at the antique stores, they are selling those very cool American made vintage stuff. And often i was already you know feeling like i can't afford this because it's so expensive right and then when i moved over to east tennessee area those things are a third of the price or so <laughs> yeah. um sometimes they don't even care about it and they would even give it to me give it away right yes, yes. and uh and you know when i check on the market how much it would have cost in tokyo sometimes it's you know more than hundred dollar more than three hundred dollars wow. so i got into okay maybe this is something that i could do just to find something very cheap here right and then bring it over there i started out with a kind of a collecting stuff and then so often i uh, when i go home i would kind of give away those things as a gift or so right but everybody was very appreciative and um um, I started thinking, well, maybe this can be a little a business. business that I could do. A little yes. side business. Because <laughs> yes. well, we're both musicians and, you know, and we tour in Japan and it's so expensive. We were looking for ways to kind of supplement our tour. Gotcha. So there's an episode where you're walking into a place and you're looking at glasses, drinking glasses, and they're so cheap. Now, I want to show you my drinking glass that came from a swap. 25 okay. cents got mm -hmm. six of them and these are <laughs> retro to the 1970s to when i grew up so i know exactly what you're talking about yes. and i'm a big uh secondhand store guy because i buy old electronics especially <laughs> stuff from japan from the 19 late 50s early 60s when america didn't think that was good technology which now we look at it going what were we thinking? This is wonderful. So I understand the whole novelty and the fascination behind it, because again, I'm 
I'm part of that same culture as you are. But I find it interesting that the um, the people of Tokyo has such, or Japan itself has such a fascination with American made products that we don't see here anymore. I mean, you're going back to the 40s and 50s in the early 60s for this stuff, because then our global economy switched and we were buying it from you. So you're pulling stuff back that that is really vintage. Yes. Um, even you find when, when we go to Tokyo, you find some stuff that you my childhood, right. yeah. my childhood is all up and down the streets of Tokyo, everything, every toy, every shirt, that, even local things like here, like Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia, uh -huh. the, the Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, I see more Bristol Motor Speedway shirts in vintage shirt shops in Tokyo than I do here. Yeah. Well, she made a comment about one. She made such a big deal about Corningware. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. that's only made 15 minutes from my house. Really? If she wants it that bad, I'll get it for her. <laughs> You're not too far from uh, uh, Hazel Atlas. It's in It was in West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, I know the area. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so again, I, I understand where it's coming from. So going back to the program, how did they find you or did you find them? They found us, well, they found me on the Instagram. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, I have been posting a little bit of the collection of what I had uh, before. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm not really sure how they were, you know, uh, how they were looking for a person. Mm -hmm but uh, they sent me the e uh, message through Instagram, but it was very fishy. Ah, well, I can see, yeah. <laughs> so I looked at the message and I, I constantly get the pretty fishy message through Instagram all the time. So I read it that morning, but I did not feel like that was a true thing. So right. I did not even mention it to him. Or well, then I had a something that I needed to I needed to go give a lesson or something, uh, and he needed to go stop by at the Sears was closing. <laughs> and, uh, it was the like one of the last days of Sears at the mall at the local mall here. Did you get and any good Craftsman tool deals? That's the question. All of the main stuff was gone. I was going to look for like the racks and the shelves. Okay, they were down to that point. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I was I went to look for that and uh, I had my phone number as a contact for uh, for all of our businesses and stuff th throughout yeah. social media. And I got this strange uh, New Jersey phone call and I thought, eh, I'll take it. I figured it was someone trying to get me to give money or something. And uh, I said, I'll take it. And it was a guy that said he was a producer and I hadn't really, she had just roughly mentioned that she had deleted. No, I haven't. No, you didn't even say at, any, that, at point. that point. She hadn't even told me. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, so I started talking to this guy. I still thought it was fishy. <laughs> right. He's like, he's like, he was a casting director mm -hmm. and he's like, we're, we've got this, we've got this television show. Uh, he said, please tell me that you all are really into antiques. Uh -huh. And I'm like, yes. And and he said, okay, we've got this television show that's going to be on Netflix. Well, as soon as he said Netflix, I'm like, in the my, my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to at least right, at least go along with him. Yeah. 
And uh, uh, so I'm like, okay. So she comes back and picks me up. I have the conversation with the guy. He kind of gives me the rundown talking about swap shop. I said, I'm totally aware of swap shop and all that. And uh, I told her about it. And then you told me, yes. oh, that's those messages I've been deleting <laughs> on my, on my uh, social media. And I'm like, well, that's, uh, that's what they want to do. And basically the, the short part of the story is, is uh, we decided at that moment, since it was, you know, Netflix, uh, we're entertainers. So that's a great way right. to get yourself out. I said, I, I said, uh, let's go ahead and we'll go along with this until they ask for like our credit card number or something. <laughs> <laughs> we literally until, until the day we started sure. filming. Yeah. Thought, this could be yes. fishy. Right. <laughs> So, so when you, when you look at this and I need, I mean, you've done some videos showing behind the scenes mm -hmm. of it, how many, how do you have a film crew with you all the time or are they, how do they film this? Because I can't imagine going into a, 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 a buying situation and always being something there that you want, even though you've heard about it <laughs> or are they setting it up what, or are they well, setting it up? No, I'll, I'll put it this way. How do I say it? There were a lot of things we, uh, there were a lot of things we didn't want to buy. Okay. Which obviously don't make the. Right. Make the yeah, cut. Make yeah. The cut. But uh, we were able in at least, I mean, yes, some of the things we bought are not things we would normally jump all over, <laughs> but right. we were also understanding we can't go into a place and not purchase anything. Yes. I got like, you. You've got to, we, we had to purchase, you know, something. So uh, some of the things, you know, uh, and the other flip side of this is, you know, this was during COVID and right in the middle uh, of what this, it was basically from 2020 mm -hmm. into from late 2020 into early 2021. It was 10 months of filming on and oh, off. Oh, wow. And uh, so there were a lot of things that we didn't really need. And we haven't been able to go back to Japan because of COVID. Right. So I've got stockpiles of stuff in a storage <laughs> unit. So it was, we needed to buy some things. There were some things that we found that were really interesting and we wanted, but you know, some other things we just kind of, we need to buy something for television. Okay. So it so makes it interesting. The one episode that, that you were on is there was this gentleman selling Disney stuff. Yes. And you bought, did you buy all of it? or most of it because i know the flag was a big thing that that you were going after yeah that's the that's kind of the other we purchased uh some things we purchased didn't make the cut on tv okay we didn't buy everything from him but we did buy some other things that weren't shown right so but when you buy that stuff and have you been back to to uh to tokyo since so you haven't been back yet so no. you still have a storage shed full of stuff Right. That you need to unload. Uh, but I was curious when you, the stuff you bought at Disney, cause you made the comment about how big Disney is over there. I would love to know what some of that stuff would go for, especially when you're buying it here, pennies on the dollar. Um, Disney stuff, especially something that it's been shown on that uh, program. Um, yeah. 
we are already like I'm already aggravated by some of the um, my musical music fan people. <laughs> um, they were asking me to save it for them until gotcha. I come over there. So they are really, really into some of okay. the shown there and it it is like um um i think they showed the tickets that use yes the tickets. yeah they are they go pretty mm -hmm. high and, and the funny thing is leona you just said that and i'm thinking wait a minute they can watch netflix in tokyo of course they're watching the program because you're <laughs> giving a preview of what you're going to bring over to them <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that's, that was a little aggravating, I had to get rid of the flag already. Oh, why? Well, it, it cost so much, I needed to get some money back. So, oh, okay. Uh, that was the, by far the, the way highest price thing that we dealt with. Mm -hmm. You know, some yeah. of the other stuff we, we can afford to keep, but yes. that thing I had to get rid of. I gotcha. Um, so I find it so I find it interesting, Leona, that you made it all the way here to East, East Tennessee State. You're living in in uh, southern United States. How actually? First off, how long have you been here? How long have you been a resident? It it is about fifteen years, mm -hmm. I believe. Yes. Okay. So what you came over when you were twelve? How does that work? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that should be maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, he was accelerated <laughs> high school student. So I gotcha. But you came over here, and from reading your bio, you actually played the violin before you played the fiddle. And were you always interested in this type of bluegrass music? Well, let's say um, my story goes back to my dad, actually. Um, my father is a, a, how should I say, country style guitar player. Yeah, kind okay. of Merle Travis, Chet Atkins, kind of finger. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, um, when in Japan, if they are looking for somebody who can play American roots, you know, style music, then he would be the one to be always playing. Mm -hmm. So I grew up listening to a lot of American roots music. Um, I started taking classical violin lesson when I was four and believed to be a classical violin player for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I guess age 15, I started to realize these um, in American roots music, there's a sound of violin, but it's right. a little different and played a different. And then I asked my dad, uh, what is this? And he told me that's called a fiddle. And then he basically put me on the plane to attend a fiddle camp that was held in San Diego, California. Oh, when I was wow. Okay. And uh, I was not speaking any English back then. And I had to do trouble by myself to go to the camp and register and everything. But that basically changed my okay. life. Yes. Yeah, that's one way to get a kid to do something. Wow, just put them on a plane. You're going to go there and you're not going to know anybody. You're not going to be able to speak the language. You're just going to do it. That's amazing. I have a neighbor who is literally across the street from me. He's 78 years old. He's a fiddle player. And he also plays the banjo. Mm -hmm. But what makes him unique, and he has his own band, he makes his own fiddles and banjos. And wow. it's amazing to watch him tune one, especially the banjo, watch him play it 
and everything else. So I have a very, I have a, I have a deep appreciation of both the interest, instruments because I know someone that plays them. So when you guys, when did you decide you were going to put a band together to play in Tokyo, the States, whatever? That was, that was probably a, a little over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually, it was actually after we got married <laughs> or right before we got married. No, after we got married 11 yeah. 2011 uh-huh. yeah so okay. we got married and i was actually teaching uh i was a i'm a former professor of traditional american music <laughs> um and uh we I, I was teaching at the time so i was being able to play professionally or even semi-professionally was kind of tough because most of my job was uh, i was the band director right so okay i was taking the student ensembles all around so it was kind of tough to get our own life to focus on our own life so around that time we decided to make leona's first album and uh, kind of we started off with the japan tour that's right and uh, from the, that first japan tour back in 2011 mm-hmm. which was right after the i think we were the first american group on the ground after the tsunami and nuclear disaster back oh, wow. in and uh, uh. so Still, people were afraid to go, but we needed some money, so <laughs> we went anyway. And uh, uh, so, from that first tour, once we got back to the states, we started booking stuff here. So, uh, and over time, we've developed. We either do a duo show or a full band show, so it just depends on the venue. Because I've seen some of the TV appearances that you've done on a local TV station, mm-hmm. and um, when I watch them in the states you have a drawing card and that's Leona because no one would could imagine a Japanese fiddle player. I mean, unless I didn't hear her do it when I heard her playing in the car for the first time on the program, I would have gone, no, there's no way this is just a gimmick. There's no way this girl can play, but no, she can play fiddle. When you go to Tokyo, you are the, draw and the bluegrass music is the draw so how popular is bluegrass or americana music over in tokyo because i think a lot of people in the states would have a difficult time understanding it because you're really working with period music from the 30s even before that in that genre that would be here you don't hear anymore how do you hear it over there i mean how often is it over there is it still that popular um, I would not say uh, bluegrass music is very popular in Japan, but surprisingly, it, there is still about 100 bluegrass festivals held. Oh, in wow. Japan. I would have never imagined that. <laughs> well, the, basically, what keeps it alive over there is it started, uh, it started with even pre-bluegrass, uh, like in the 30s, uh, people that were rebelling. Of course, it was at that time illegal to listen to American music, you know, right before World War II started. But there were all these guys that had, a lot of times they had family, uh, like their father or something, traveled to the United States, maybe a little more wealthy. And they was bringing back all of these like Jimmy Rogers and Carter family records. And they were listening, the, the first country music duo in Japan uh, started in the forward, or 
after, right after World War II, but they had been listening to it for years before their father traveled to the United States and brought them back some Jimmy Rogers and Carter family records. Mm -hmm. And they would have to go out into the forest with like a portable record player to listen to them. But so it started with that. And then when armed forces, after the occupation started, armed forces radio came. Mm -hmm. Well, in Japan, you probably know this, their radio frequencies are different. Oh yeah, like the it's lower. Like yeah. uh, it just goes up to like ninety FM or something. Mm -hmm. I guess back right. then it was PM. But uh, so the domestic technology at the time wouldn't allow them to listen to the armed forces radio. So what happened is all these kind of, I guess you would call them radio electronic nerds, basically. Yeah. <laughs> they would alter their radios so they could listen to the armed forces, and that's oh, where they okay. were listening to the Grand Old Opry. Uh, and all this. So it's really weird. All these eccentric uh, kind of technological guys, mm -hmm. they were the first ones that got into the music because they were listening to it. And then after that, as time went on, colleges uh, in Japan, everyone's required to have a lot of extracurricular activity. Right. So a few of the colleges around Japan, some of those guys went to college and they started bluegrass clubs which still exists to this day. And that's what keeps creating the new thing. That is fantastic. Cause I think in the, in the United States, I think bluegrass is becoming a lost music genre, mm -hmm. unless you're in my age group. Right. And, and older, you don't really hear that anymore. Mm -hmm. And lucky for me, my father listened to it when I was a kid, that's what exposed it to me. And then when you start going into where it came from, because what started is then I'd listen to rockabilly and then I can go back further and look at the progression mm -hmm. of it. So again, it's, it's just, it's just a shame we're losing it here, but I think it's fantastic that in, in, in Japan and Tokyo, there is still interest in that music. Um, and then we're able to share that, that type of, uh, that type of culture with each other. Now, mm -hmm. Leona, when you came back from East Tennessee and you showed mom and dad your future husband, did they look at you and say, what are you doing? <laughs> actually, well, that's the one thing we actually, not the normal problems because your parents were so open to. Yes, yes, yes. But I would say they didn't expect that I would marry a banjo player, so. <laughs> Well, I've heard stories about banjo players, so. Well, they were at least uh, hoping for a guitarist or something. Yeah, <laughs> so at, at least honorable, honorable work, right. right. Um, but no, I think that I, I think that's amazing. I really do, especially how you two um, got together and be able to do it. So how often do you tour if COVID didn't happen in Japan? Usually at least once a year mm -hmm. we tour and um, I go pretty much all over Japan. Mm -hmm. Really? Um, okay. Yes, not just the Tokyo area, but I go down to the southern part. Mm -hmm. Not too many northern part that I haven't made the trip to, but uh, usually go southern part mm -hmm. and then comes back. So. And with everything going on because of COVID, are you touring in the States or are you just doing local? We're, um, we're staying right now. We're staying fairly local. Uh, we we hope to, you know, when the warmer weather comes, kind of move out just a little bit. But that's been the only frustrating thing, you know, with all this attention from the Netflix is 
is it doesn't really matter. I, we can't do much uh, at the moment. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Are people, I mean, have you done a concert and people come up to you going, wait a minute, I've seen you on TV. Do they question you about it? Do they? Have, the last concert we did was the first day we could mention the show. So oh, we, okay. have, we haven't done that. We've basically been wintering this winter. I and, gotcha. And that's what we were talking about. We're like, we don't really even know the full reaction because right. <laughs> we're just kind of like hermits right now. Uh, uh, just trying to well, get through the winter. <laughs> and I was going to ask you, have you done interviews like this because of the show? We've done a couple of uh -huh. a couple of interviews. Of course, we have a podcast uh, too called the JP Pod. Okay. And uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff on that, but it's been really weird. It's kind of like we're just talking to people individually. I mean, people send us messages and stuff through social media, and they get so surprised that we respond to them. <laughs> Uh, you know, and I'm like, it's just us. I mean, it's not like we're Brad Pitt or something. You know? <laughs> well, I guess not. So I, I, again, when I, when I, when I reached out to, uh, when I reached out to you guys, it was a long shot. And I said, mm -hmm. what the heck? It's a Saturday afternoon. I'm watching the program. Let me see who these people are. And within minutes, sure, we'll be on. And it was like, well, I was kind of impressed. Usually it takes a few days, but you were right there on it. And it's kind of cool to be able to talk to you like this. Now, for those of you or for those people that are interested in your music, where can they find it at? Uh, you can go on to uh, my homepage, uh, fiddlingleona.com, or it is available on Apple Music. Yeah, we'd prefer you buy a CD though. That way we <laughs> of can. Course. Of course, of course. If you if you go to the fiddlingleona.com and buy a CD, we'll even or she will or me whoever you want, we'll sign it, uh, put you a message on there, do anything just to avoid that getting like one cent per song. The one tenth of a cent. Yeah, I know. Um, so, so it's on the, other... it's on the other Amazon and stuff as well. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this question. So you're doing it on CD, but you're playing bluegrass music. Bluegrass music supposed to be on vinyl or at least 78 RPM records. It's not supposed to be on CDs. What are you thinking? With the latest vinyl boom, we've had a lot of people say, why don't you make some vinyl, which maybe when we do the next, next project, one, yes. we may at least put out some vinyl. Uh, the weird thing is, is I got into bluegrass music because of CD technology. Gotcha. Uh, my uncle got the, this was when I was a kid and I, I knew the music, but I wasn't really into it. But uh, he got a, a a used truck that had this huge sound system in it that the yeah. previous owner had with the Pioneer mm -hmm. CD deck. We didn't even have any CDs, so he said, "Let's go ride my truck across the mountain." <laughs> and uh, we went to uh, Walmart, and uh, uh, the only bluegrass CD he liked bluegrass and played guitar at the time was the Osborne Brothers. Okay. The, and uh, he put that CD in, and with the CD clarity, I could pick what I was doing as I was listening. What interested me in it is I could finally hear the layers of the instrument, right. and the banjo is what caught my attention. So technically, CD technology is what got me into bluegrass. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I am on your site right now, and I'm looking at it, and. Um... Whoever put it together, give them credit because it's laid out very nice because I can actually find things unlike other sites that, that I go to. <laughs> what, what's that? 
everything you see about us up to this point in our life, everything yeah. is this. Well, you, you've done a very nice job. Let me just tell you that. But um, the the merchandise that you are selling is, I mean, I, I love it. I'm going to have to go online and see what's not sold out because from what I can tell, a lot of it is right now just looking at it. it yeah. But it's kind of fun to look at it. And with the whole thing going on with Netflix, is there a second season coming out? Yeah, and we can, we, we can announce that. So. Yes, so the uh, second season is coming out actually February the 16th. Wow, I got you on two weeks before. I'm really excited now. <laughs> we can start promoting the heck out of this thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes it's coming out on, I guess, Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, two days after Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Very good. That's awesome. So um, are they introducing any more new people to the program or is it just the ones that were on the original season? This one's just the original, the same cast. Okay. Uh, at, uh, at this time. And uh, they kind of, basically it was supposed to be one long series and they split it. Right. Split it in half. That's the reason the filming took so long and there were a lot of episodes. Oh, so the 10 months actually was... I gotcha. So have they talked to you about what's going to happen in the future? Were they waiting for the popularity of the program? What were they, what are they looking for now? And do you think there's going to be more life for you down the road with swap shop? <laughs> I I always tell people this at this point, it's not been canceled yet. Well, that's good. <laughs> so, uh, it's really weird. And I'm sure a lot of people like to know, but like, you just don't, it's, it's hard. The communication levels yeah. is yeah. impossible because it's Netflix. Then it's the production company from right. New York. And then it's our agent in Beverly Hills. And then it's to us. So it's like these four layers of communication. So communication's very thin and they keep everything kind of. I got uh, you. So basically, when I, when I, when I watch you and, 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 JP, I, I apologize for this because every time you talk, she smiles and she has one of the most, she has the brightest smile I've ever seen. And my eyes divert to her smile. Has anybody talked about making your own Netflix series just about you two? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping That's for. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what we hope uh, hope for. And uh, how do I say this without saying anything? It's not something that hasn't been discussed thrown around. Okay. So uh, it's uh, uh, it's something you know. I'd love to do something. Go to Japan mm -hmm. to oh, show that, people that. I end think of, that would be cool. Yeah, I think that would be because I don't think the people here in the states understand what it's like over there because we always we, we think more of distance than we do commonality and mm -hmm. that's one of the issues with why we have such a problem with our culture in the united states because we think everybody's so different mm -hmm. but i think it would be interesting to see mm -hmm. what it was like how the people are taking into american culture like you said your whole childhood mm -hmm. is there in front of you and it would be kind of interesting to be able to do it by the way i'm looking at stuff in my in my studio here i have <laughs> I'm, hey, if I can make a buck tonight, I will. Um, so I have my Mickey Mouse That's very, um, yeah. uh, clock radio. It says talk show Mickey. Uh -huh. um, I have a big bird. Oh, I forgot about this one. 
<laughs> and for those of you that are watching this at home, because this will be on local cable, I uh, am walking out. This is a Big Bird AM FM radio. radio. And when you play it, he uh -huh. dances. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I know what it's like. And my, and my wife... Uh, my wife and I can become addicted to it, and then we have to purge, and <laughs> we buy, and then we purge, and we do all that. Leon is so the sailor, and I'm the one that wants to keep everything. Oh, you I'm and like, me both. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just went through my basement the other day, and I was almost in tears when I had to get rid of stuff because it was like, there's so many memories to this. I remember using it as a kid, but <laughs> as she said, we need more room. We've been in the house for 21 years. And the house and the and the and the garage way in the back, we still have the original owner stuff in oh, there because I won't get rid. No, I didn't want to get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, it's really cool. So, so no, it it is it is it's a fascinating program, and it gives you a different aspect because we've seen so many of these these antique programs on, mm -hmm. and they're only looking for high end stuff. Right. Well, right. most of us can't afford that. What you right. guys are looking at, we can afford and we can relate to. Right, right. Except and the flag. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even begin to think of that. that well, that, the flag, that <laughs> I think the flag, if you would have sold it, you would have been able to buy five day passes for Disney World. I think that would have been. Well, what was cool about those passes, if they were unused, yeah. some of those passes were from the 60s and or from the, uh, I'm sorry, the, I guess some were from Disneyland, actually, from the right. 60s, 70s. If you took them to a Disney park, they still have mm -hmm. to accept them. Their lifetime. Well, but so, the thing is, the ticket's worth more than, than anyway. Yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> Look, Dad, I found a ticket to Disney World. Don't you dare use that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's worth more on paper than it is on the enjoyment because that's over and done with. Um, no, I, I just think it's very interesting that you guys were able to do this and I can see them doing something more with you two mm -hmm. um, because the whole idea of the relationship, the international travel back and forth mm -hmm. and being able to bring the music into it, because I think that is a very unique part of the program of mm -hmm. being able to bring the music into it. Now, the other thing, and I wanted to ask you before, because I don't remember if it was on the first uh, season, did you go look at any instruments that would be considered antique and have the opportunity to purchase those? Because I think that would have been interesting, especially with your music background, to be able to explain where they came from. You did one. One was the uh, old uh, Stradivarius uh, copy fiddle mm -hmm. okay it was on it was on that episode we had the jam session that's right. oh uh, that's right i remember that now. Yeah. yeah 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 and uh that we, we got that of course that wasn't really a high-end item it was more of a student uh, right. kind of a student fiddle but uh, that was the only one that we could come across yes we were looking for instruments but mm -hmm. you know interesting it's just a certain period of time uh and I mean, this was a huge production too. It was over like a 150 mile radius. Okay. Uh, so seven teams, not teams, but duos, you know. I gotcha. Uh, so, 
you know, you go film one day, maybe, or two days in one week, and then you may not get to film because they're working with other people. <laughs> so you may not get to film for two more weeks. So we kind of had to just take what was available. Yeah. So when you, when you, okay, so then my next question is, so you were listening to the radio, you heard what was up. Did they tell you where to go or did, could you decide where you wanted to go? A little of both. Okay. A little of both. We had some recommendations okay. from ourselves and then they selected some as well. So our recommendations made for the better episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I can we, imagine because you know what you're looking for. <laughs> and and as you said, you've been listening to the program since you were a kid mm -hmm. and you knew all those key words that were coming out mm -hmm. that someone from New York or wherever, when he hears it, it's not going to hear the same thing you do. Right. I mean, it was amazing. None of those people were even familiar with the concept of swap shop. I mean, I think I think it's funny because, like I said, I'm in I'm in southwestern Pennsylvania, the northern portion of, of uh, Appalachia. And I live in outside of Uniontown, and we have mm -hmm. a small AM station there that I used to work for. I was program director for, and we did the same thing. Mm -hmm. Still, they still air the obituaries on the air, and uh -huh. then we did another program, which I'm sure they may have done where you are, called "Babies in the Weather," and they would give you the weather, and they would go through the newspaper and read you the new arrivals. Uh -huh. But because uh -huh. of HIPAA regulations, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> actually we used to do that in the newspaper here for each month and yeah. the, when i was born i was the first baby born in the month of december and i was on the front page of the local <laughs> newspaper in a huge stocking so uh, i won so that I, first, first so day i, guess, I made the front page <laughs> so i guess you were born in december is what you're telling me exactly we both are our birthdays three days apart oh really <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> so but um so again, the, the, for those of you that haven't watched the program, you have to watch the program because you guys come on. What is it? The second episode that we see third. or the third episode, mm -hmm. because really we get through the first two episodes and you can see where it's going. Mm -hmm. Well, all of a sudden you see Leona in third. You're going, wait a minute. What happened? They changed the whole premise of the program. I got a fiddle player from Tokyo. What's going on here? And it does, it, it literally breathes life back into the program. And for those of you watching at home, and for those of you that were with the production company, no, they are not paying me to say this. I did watch the program. <laughs> well, and, and I'll say this, just kind of an inside, apparently at least a couple of the executives, the top executives at Netflix, just love Leona's accent. Really? I would have never guessed why. <laughs> Like that's all they were. That's what you know they were talking about. Well, so much. Well, my question is: Do they love your accent? Probably not. But <laughs> I don't know. They like her, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it so it is it is great to see this. So when you do your music, do you write your own music, or are you playing covers? We do both. both. Okay. Yes. We we try to we try to. Uh, we do kind of a variety of stuff. We do a little bit of jazzy stuff, you know, mm -hmm. bluegrass stuff. We try to make our, our music shows kind of variety. And then we add the, the original songs in, which we okay. try to get kind of a more modern 
not like progressive music. We keep the music the same, but like the subject matters and stuff could translate to today's time. Gotcha. That makes sense. So do you, are you hoping, and I'm, I'm, I, this may be a dumb question for me to ask. Are you hoping the popularity of the Netflix program is going to be able to, to move you up to the ne- next level in music? that you get a following that you can play more. I mean, are you looking to have a true career in music? Cause I've talked to a lot of musicians over the last few months and they talk to me about their big break and what did it. Do you feel Netflix is going to be the break that you need to get out there? It just depends how many people watch season two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of, uh, I mean, that's, that's our main, we're entertainers uh-huh. right? Uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, we don't even necessarily look at ourselves just as musicians. Uh, we do MC work. We do podcasting. We do music. Uh, now Netflix. Uh, always wondered if we could do TV, and we found out we could. You can, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of our our main goal. And our main goal. This may sound made up, but it's not selfish at all. Our main goal. Her and I. Me from Southern Appalachia. Leona from Tokyo, when our feet hit the ground in the morning, our main goal is to take make this music more popular across the world. We just want more people to get into not, and not even necessarily bluegrass, but acoustic music and right. folk music, you know, just American roots music. We just want to push it as far as we can. And that that is a that is a great goal to be able to have something like that. That that's it. You mentioned, and I heard this in passing. Now, Leon, and I don't know if you're still doing it, but did you say you guys teach lessons? Yes, we do. So, how is lesson teaching going during COVID, or have you had to do it online? Uh, online, <laughs> yes. So, I take it you're teaching fiddle, correct? How hard is it to teach someone how to play the fiddle on the internet? It was very difficult. And uh, especially I teach um, younger generation. I I I kind of assumed that, yeah. I do have some adult student also, but most of um, my students are younger. And um, so when I had to switch, especially when I was filming this TV show, because we had to test so much and... You know, I didn't want to expose anything to nobody to nowhere. So um, I had to do maybe a whole year at least mm-hmm. for online lesson. And uh, the difficult thing was some of the students are too young to even know how to tune. The right. Fiddle. Yeah. And when some of the some of the kids are very particular, if it's out of tune, they do not want to practice <laughs> because well, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> I can understand. I can understand. I I yeah. can. Yeah. So the the reason I ask is yesterday I was speaking with the uh, bass guitarist from the Steve Miller band, mm-hmm. uh, Kenny Lee Lewis, and he was doing the same thing, mm-hmm. and he said the difficulty of just to get the kit or whoever it is to be able to hold it properly because Mm -hmm. that's when you need contact no you got to do it this way and stuff like that and everybody keeps thinking that teaching on the internet is easy but they don't realize how much human contact is necessary to teach an instrument to teach whatever it may be and that's why 
when I asked you that. I kind of assumed where you were going to go with it, but I was just curious to, to hear what you said. Leona's actually had, or we both have had over time, uh, several students though on through the internet, uh, even pre-COVID, uh, she even teaches some in Japan. Mm -hmm. so really? Okay. Students, yeah, in Japan. Of course, that's the only way they can get yes. together. Uh -huh. But right. it works okay with, you know, old, you know, people that are adults and uh, uh, people that are kind of intermediate. It works totally fine. But the beginner, it's, it's tough. Yeah, because I... I have a ukulele sitting over here and I still can't play it. So anyway, <laughs> but I have no younger kids are okay with the talking through the internet. Right. They, they watch YouTube all the time. Mm -hmm. They do all the stuff on the computer. So setting up those lessons online was not a problem. They will be like, Oh, this Skype thing doesn't work. So I, let me just do the zoom. Like they have no problem. Right into any other programmer. So the only thing was just a few little detail that if it was in person, I could have just to show it to them right, you know, right in front mm -hmm. could not be done proper way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I gotcha. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Um, so again, again, it's a, it's a total pleasure to be able to talk to you guys because this was something like I said, I saw the program had to reach out to you to see if I could find out what was going on. Because again, your story for a program like this is so unusual, mm -hmm. especially someone from Tokyo, marrying a guy from East Tennessee, which never would have thought of that. Like, how does he get there? But now it makes sense saying that you were over there touring, basically, and doing college recruitment at the same time. So that it makes sense. I don't know how <laughs> believable it is but it does make sense <laughs> that's the other problem we've run into with the tv show like you said we pop up and you know 99 percent of the feedback we've got has been positive but there's some people that think we were like actors or like staged yeah staged or whatever and her they think that we've had yeah. a few comments her accent is fake she's acting that and i'm like <laughs> if she can act that accent she needs like an academy award or something. Uh, <laughs> go ahead no one, no one's listening or watching. Really, speak the way you talk, so we can we can put this rumor to rest that this is a put on accent. <laughs> well, I am not. A, I'm not. I'm not acting. And... <laughs> it, it's basically because when she first came to college, uh, I myself and another guy uh, from the mountains here uh, were her kind of tutors in the program to help her with her homework. So. He and I both, uh, uh, he comes from the cockfighting capital of the world. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I come from a moonshine place and mm -hmm. we were her. I'd, ra I'd, I'd rather come from the moonshine place, but anyhow. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but, but again, you, you've been here for so long. I would, and, and again, I don't know how accents work, even though I live where I live and I keep thinking to myself, I don't have one. But I'm surprised you don't have a little bit of that Southern twang with your normal accent. Cause I could hear living with him and living where you are every day, being able to pick a little of that up. Oh, you did. Yeah. She sings it better. <laughs> I than... heard that. I yeah, heard yeah. that and I'm going, okay. I can see where people are th thinking you put it on because I do hear that in the singing. <laughs> You're right. So, are there any kids running around in the picture of YouTube? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, 
no, uh, basically our uh, instruments are our children. Okay. <laughs> or or I, I would always tell, because um, I get those questions from a lot of Japanese people. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I'll just usually say, well, he is my big baby. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it would be really interesting because bringing the two cultures together <laughs> would be interesting to see how you would raise somebody to be able to experience both. And because you are so, in, you embrace both cultures, that's sometimes unheard of in, in, in the era that we live in. And I think that's kind of fascinating. We kind of we kind of live even just the life we have is fifty percent Japanese, fifty percent American. Sure. We take the best parts from both and try to make it as good as we can. Gotcha. That's <laughs> that again. That's awesome. I, I I there's nothing else I can say about that. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me. If there's thank anything you. I didn't ask you, now's the time to tell everybody. Um, where can they reach? Find your stuff at? Where can they find your music? Please let my audience know. The website's uh, www.fiddlingleona.com. That's F-I-D-D-L-I-N-G-L-E-O-N-A. <laughs> and uh, you can also, we've got a podcast called The JP Pod. Our, our past three episodes have been kind of behind the scenes of uh, of the Netflix first season. And uh, and then we'll continue the same once season two comes out. And That's February 16th. February 16th. February 16th, yeah. Worldwide. Um Anything else I'm missing? That should be. If you have any people that, that speak Japanese or or maybe trying to learn Japanese, mm -hmm. Leona also has a podcast we do in Japanese. Really? And it's called Fiddling Leona Around the World. So, can, JP, can you speak Japanese? At, like, preschool level. <laughs> like, where's the bathroom? Uh, well, food. This, is, this is what I think is so unfair. She speaks Japanese. You forced her to learn English. Now you speak English and she is so sweet that she did not force you to learn Japanese. I think there's a problem here. We, we had to, I barely speak English though. So I've already done, I've done as much as I can. English is 10% of Japanese is as far as I can go. <laughs> well, at least you can say Japanese. That's a good part. That's a start. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, guys, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck. And I hope someday in the near future, I can have you back on again, because this was a total pleasure to be able to talk to you guys. If you want to talk with us after season two, give us a holler and we'll talk. At, season two. Uh, hey, that works for me, guys. Thank you very much. Right. Thanks, thank Bill. Bye-bye. Hey, a big thank you goes out to J.P. Mathis and Fiddle and Leona for joining us today on the program. That was a total blast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And don't forget, you can watch the second season of Swap Shop on Netflix. It's dropping on February 16th, two days after Valentine's Day. And if you haven't seen season one, now's the time to binge it. And remember, they come in in, in episode three just so you know. Anyhow, I'll be sharing more information about Fiddle and Leona in the description. And also you can stop by their website, fiddleandleona.com. You guys have a great one. We'll talk to you next time here on the Bill Alexander Show. Thank you for listening to the Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com. Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? 
Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.